Good morning again. Hey, uh, one of our favorite family stories, uh, my brother especially loves to hear it and hear it retold, and I think I've shared it with you, so hopefully you'll uh, <laughs> enjoy it again, but uh, it happened when I was about 19 years old. I had gone off to college about three hours from my house. I had come home one weekend to, to be with my mom, and uh, on the way home, I had a big exam the following Monday. It was a Sunday evening, and of course, I decided, you know, young could do anything. I thought I will stay uh, as late as I can, then drive home, and don't need much sleep. I'll get up, I'll ace my exam, and so I decided to pull out of town about 11 o'clock at night, and I go to the edge of town, still a three-hour he- drive ahead of me, no problem. Um, as I'm fueling up, I decided that my body needs some fuel, and so I, I bought a cup of coffee, but not your average standard size cup of coffee. I bought the world's largest <laughs> cup of coffee. And uh, then as I was checking out, I looked over and right on the display case, there was a package of no-dos. Have you ever had no-dos? The caffeine pills. So I thought, well, if the liquid kind is not enough, I'll pop some pills because I need to stay awake. Now, we have a, a bit of a joke in our family that, uh, you know, sometimes runners um, hit a wall during their, their running lengths that they have to learn to overcome. Well, I have sort of a sleep wall, we joke about, that when I hit sort of my threshold of energy for the day, it's like... I fall off the cliff, and I can fall asleep anywhere. There are pictures of me when I was a child sleeping on an ottoman, like my waist bent over on top of the ottoman, my knees on the ground, and I'm sound asleep. I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. My head hits the pillow, I'm out. Anybody else like that? A few of us. Okay. It's just because we have so much fun during the day. We need our rest. So here I am, I'm driving to school, uh, back to college, I've got my cup of coffee, I down that in about an hour, I've popped one no-dose, but after about an hour, guess what, I'm beginning to get drowsy. Not a problem. I've got a full tank of gas, I've still got a couple of no-dose. So I pop another, and I keep going. Well, and about 15 minutes later, you know, I start to get drowsy again. And then, something really interesting happens. As I was driving, all of a sudden, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting drowsy, and I think, I look up. I, don't, I guess I opened my eyes, I don't know. But I saw what I thought was a man out jogging right toward my car. And in that moment, I said, ah! And my eyes awake, and my adrenaline burst through my body, and I'm wide awake now. Forget drowsiness. And that stayed and rested with me for, I don't know, about seven minutes. <laughs> and then I get drowsy again. Um, not a problem. I got one last no-do, so I take it. I'm a smart guy. (laughs) So I've got so much caffeine coursing through my body, but my eyes are still heavy, heavier than they've ever been before. And I hit a curve, and I'm going around it, and all of a sudden, I'm driving into the mouth of the world's largest shark. Or so I thought. (laughs) I was hallucinating as I'm going along the road. Ah! And my adrenaline shot through again, and so I was... Okay enough to finally pull into my dorm room parking lot. I made it safely. I think my mom was praying. (laughs) I lay my head on my pillow, and yet I couldn't sleep. (laughs) I was more tired than I've ever been in all my life, but my heart was pounding faster than it had ever pounded before. I'm I'm sure I'm glad. I'm I'm probably grateful I should still be alive. But uh, uh, anyway, I I fell asleep at about 4 o'clock, and like, uh, well, I don't know. Five o'clock maybe and got up in two hours and then crammed a little for my exam and there we go. I don't remember what grade I had. I'm sure it was awesome. (laughs) I share that story with you because um, 
Back in the medieval time when the Reformation happened in the 16th century, there had been a growing and emerging concept about grace and what grace is and how grace works and why grace is important. And it kind of went something like this. Was that grace was looked at as a power of God, some sort of commodity of God, that when He chose to, He would pour it into your life and kind of work like an energy drink. Something like this. I brought an energy, energy drink with me. But being two Sundays before Halloween, it's not just any energy drink, it's monster energy drink. This is not a commercial. So grace in the 16th century was kind of like this. If, if this is your life, that there are occasions that God will come along and He will fill your life with grace. I should have been a waiter. <laughs> he will pour grace into your life for this reason. As He pours and fills your life with grace, it gives you a bit of an energy boost so that you can then go out and do your good deeds so that you can move yourself along on the trajectory of God's being able to accept you. You would then be energized as God would fill you with grace. You're energized to go and do your good works and to somehow uh, get you closer to earning God's favor and being welcomed into His life and into His heaven. You see, it didn't guarantee eternal life. It was only a boost to help you earn your place with God. That was the broad concept when the Reformers emerged and began to um, look again and rediscover the realities of biblical ideas of grace. And we kind of struggle with similar ideas in different ways today. Sometimes we, we can base a lot of our attitude in the way that we approach God based not so much on the goodness of Jesus... But sometimes we hinder ourselves based on what we perceive as our badness before God. And we talked last week about the great invitation and how remarkable it is that, that God would give you and me the ability and the invitation to come into His throne room boldly, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of who Jesus is and what He has done. Martin Luther struggled with this idea of trying to work. You know, he was heading off to law school and uh, had this amazing um, uh, event that happened in his life. He ends up becoming a monk, and, and he was one of the most serious monks in the monastery. In fact, he describes in a, a short paragraph about his inability to rid his conscience of his inability to be pleasing before God. And he worked hard at it. He worked really hard. This is what he said. He said, it's true. I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that I could say that if ever a monk could get to heaven through monastic discipline, I should have entered in. All my companions in the monastery who knew me would bear me out in this. For if it had gone on much longer, I would have martyred myself to death. Maybe he had too many no-dos. I don't know. That's not part of what he says. He says, if it had gone on, my attempts and my efforts at ascetic living, if it had gone on much longer, I might have martyred myself to death, what with vigils, prayers, readings, and other works, and yet... 
My conscience would not give, give me certainty, but I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain, weaker, and more troubled. That was Martin Luther's description of his attempts to somehow be filled with the grace of God so that in his own strength he could somehow earn God's favor and ultimately salvation. Well, we, I hope it's been a great refresher for you over these weeks together. Well, we've talked about the importance of our faith alone. Last week we talked about the importance of Jesus and the, the completed work and what He said on the cross. It is finished. The work that He came to accomplish, it is finished. Not a martyr's death, but a Savior's death. Not just a heroic, courageous person who died for his beliefs. No, no. Jesus died on purpose so that redemption, he could buy you and me back and into a relationship with the living God. And so the reformers come along and they, they look at this understanding of grace and they say, that's not what the Bible teaches about grace. And they helped recenter us on the wonderful gift of grace and the Bible that. And leads us to it. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to focus on three verses primarily today as we think about what does the Bible say about grace and why is it so amazing? Why do we sing about it like we did today? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father, we pray this morning, in these moments together, that your word would be unleashed in our ears, our minds, and most importantly, in our hearts, so that we don't just hear words, but we can receive them and go from this place not being hearers only, but doers. Thank you for your grace. Teach us about it now. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Grace. It is described elsewhere, even in the book of Ephesians leading up to these particular verses, it's described as glorious grace. It's described as the, the redemption, that, that way that Jesus brought us into relationship with God, how it is offered through Jesus, and it is glorious. It describes grace. Grace is described as uh, we becoming alive with Jesus as it saves us, He saves us. It describes grace as that which raises us up with Jesus and then sits us down with Him in the heavenly places. That we now are seated with Christ where He is, awaiting the final fulfillment of all that He has promised. It is described as something of inestimable value. If you've been tracking the stock market recently, you know that we are in uncharted territories 
with the value and the height and uh, the, the level of the stock markets today. And the Bible would say that you could take all of the world's stock markets and all of their value and combine them together and there would be a drop in the bucket compared to the ever-wonderful value of the grace of God. The grace of God is not to be overlooked. It's not to be uh, dismissed or misunderstood. I think we're getting an amen from outside. <laughs> grace. Grace is not a... The, it's not just a power of God. Grace isn't something that God comes along, according to the Bible, and somehow uses it to strengthen you so that then you can go out and earn your way through your moral character back to God. It is the active characteristic of God. Grace is displayed and demonstrated through the person of Jesus. It's almost like looking at two sides of a coin. On one side, you've got the person of Jesus. We talked about that last week, Christ alone. And on the other side, you've got grace alone. And what His coming to earth, what His life and teaching, what His death and resurrection mean, it is the grace of God poured out for you so that through that grace, as you embrace it by your faith, Faith and receive it into your life, it becomes yours. Jesus becomes yours and He becomes, uh, you become His, He becomes yours, and that is the grace of God flowing into your life. It is by grace that you are saved. In other words, you are brought into a relationship with the living God. You, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. We've already spent a week talking about faith. It is your reception, your receiving the gift that Jesus offers to you with gladness of heart because it is what you most desperately need and what you cannot find elsewhere and cannot do on your own. And it's not something you work your way toward. You don't go and work hard to make God proud of you so that then He will embrace you into His love. That's not the way God works. He gives you His grace and you must receive it by faith. It's not by what you do. God doesn't care about your report card. Did you know that? Uh, in a lot of the schools around, they've recently sent report cards home. And you know, sometimes uh, uh, students are really happy to show their parents' report cards and other times they're really hoping the parent doesn't see the report card, I know in the Mill Valley schools, it's halfway through the first trimester, and so report cards have come home. And, um, you know, sometimes I think if we really pressed ourselves and drilled down deep into what do we really think about what it's going to be like at the end of your life and you stand before God, I think so often we live our lives thinking that we're going to pull out of our back pocket and unfold our report card of life, and we're going to say, God... Look here, I graded myself as an A, as a husband. I got Father's Day cards that my children graded me as an A plus as a dad. Look, as an employee, my, my reports, my evaluations came back with glowing remarks. Even my boss said that I was a model employee. I always showed up on time. I... I did my work well. I never took a pen that belonged to the business home by accident. And if I did, I returned it. Look how great it is. God, look. 
I've been a mother who selflessly gave myself to my family year after year after year. Isn't that worth something? And on down the list we go, showing God our report card, or so we might think, somehow that God would be happy with us. Look, God, I took this five-day mission trip a few years ago. That must count for something, right? My language is really clean. I don't cuss or use coarse jokes, at least since I was 15 years old. (laughs) And look, on my report card, I graded myself with a big S for satisfactory. Aren't you pleased with that, God? Surely you'll receive me into your life, right? That's how I think often we look at and what we hinge our hopes on. Even in thinking about grace... But God says, what a terrible burden that is for you to walk through life not knowing how God would receive your report card. And He says, that's not the way it works. Because it's through the grace I give you. It's something you cannot merit. You cannot earn it. You can't work hard enough enough for it. It is the free gift of God that has to be received into your life by faith. But strangely, boasting is allowed. What? Boasting is allowed, but not boasting in myself. It is boasting in the work of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read these words, "...but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. For it is by grace that you are saved." And this comes to you through faith. It is not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. It is the work of God. You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for you to step into and to do. You see, grace is the starting point It's not the finish line. We don't approach God and seek out His grace to fill me, to energize me for a time, a spiritual no-dose that will help me through the next couple of weeks so that I can somehow dust myself off and present myself beautiful and pure before God. That's not the way it works. That's working toward grace as the finish line. God says grace is the starting point. It's the starting gun of your life in the Lord. It is... Uh, The work that we do then follows from grace. It doesn't lead us to grace. We work from grace, not for grace. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. We just had a baptism last Sunday right up here. And that is a picture of these very words, that I have been crucified with Christ, that by faith I am receiving the grace, the free gift of grace that God offers. And now I don't live in my own strength any longer because it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, like this filling, 
then Christ died for nothing. It is by grace that you are saved, through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. And you are God's workmanship. You are His handiwork and His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to step into and to do the work then that God created in advance for you to do. It is, it is what flows from grace, not what leads you to grace. And what we find when, when we come to Christ and Jesus fills us is that this desire begins to well up in us to live in the beauty of God, to live in the generosity of the Lord Jesus, and to walk in His goodness. Instead of grace as an energizer drink being poured into us, grace is the person of Jesus. The blood of Christ was poured out for you so that in receiving that work, that completed work, you too would know the grace of God. It is the person. It's not a power and it's not a commodity. It's not something that fills you occasionally. It is the presence and the person of Christ in you. The Apostle Paul said, When I came to you, church in Corinth, I resolved to know nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Grace, you see, is the person of Jesus. The Bible uses a really interesting language in different ways of describing this relationship. One of them comes out of the family relationship. The Bible talks about those who come to faith in Christ and, and receive the grace. It is that you are adopted into His family. You become a son or a daughter. And as a son or a daughter, you have certain privileges that come with that sonship or that daughtership. There is an inheritance that is promised to you. It's set into a trust account waiting for you uh, at the end of your life. There is confidence that you then have because you are a son or a daughter. You're not confident in your own ability to do all of the good things to show God your report card. That's not what you place your confidence in. You've placed your confidence in what Jesus has already done for you, and then you rest in the promise until that day when you spend the rest of your life with Him. We're between the cross of Jesus and the work that's completed and the final fulfillment of His last promise that He will return again to claim you and me, His sons, His daughters, to be with Him in His family. And what a wedding feast it is going to be. So there are privileges that come with being a son or a daughter. There's also responsibilities that we are called then from grace forward to live a life worthy of the gospel. To live a life that, as Paul prays, that uh, I pray for you until Christ is formed in you. Not just that you get more grace, but that the personality of Jesus over time finds its way into your life. John Calvin taught that uh, Jesus doesn't just share with us some cold and impersonal concept of righteousness. He said that, that Jesus shared His very sonship. And He did it because as a son or a daughter, it allows our spirit then, as our spirit connects with the Spirit of God, what wells up in us is an expression. It's the word Abba in, in Aramaic and Hebrew. It's this really colloquial way of saying, Daddy, I'm yours. Your heart cries out to the God who loves you as a father because you are a son or a daughter. 
I have been buried with Christ in baptism so that I now may walk in the newness of life. Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. The picture of His love for you as a father and the joy that you get to walk in that relationship. Father, our prayer today, we we pray to you as a father because Jesus has taught us to do so. He invited us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. And as you walk with us, you allow your kingdom to be known on earth just like it is in heaven. And so, Father, we pray to you, Abba, as a son and as daughters, we, we lift our hearts to you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for coming and giving it to us and giving it liberally and freely to us. Yet we know it is very costly to you. And so help us to understand your wonderful gift of grace as that which is free and from which our life of discipled living flows. God, it's not about report cards to somehow make us right or pleasing to you. The only affirmation we need is that Jesus' life and His blood shed on the cross covers me. And we receive that grace by our faith. For it is by faith that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And God, we confess this is not of ourselves. Help us not to boast in ourselves, but we want to boast in what You have done for us. Because as a good, good Father, You have done great things. Help us to know then that from that grace we are Your workmanship created in You, Jesus, to do the good things that in advance You have prepared for us so that we can walk a life of ever-increasing beauty and joy and wonder because Jesus more and more day by day is formed in each of our lives. Guide us with these truths, we pray. In Your name, Lord, we ask it together. Amen.